You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow, and I have another great guest lined up for you today. Someone I think you're really going to resonate with. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why you're here. This podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life, from your personal and professional development, to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help, to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we'll be interviewing changemakers and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our sister company, Coaches Business School, who exist for one reason only, to help coaches fulfill their potential so they can live a meaningful life and grow their business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. These are rare humans who have a deep purpose and calling to make a difference. We help them make a greater impact. If that sounds like something you would be interested in, you can find out more information at coachesbusinessschool.com. Okay, our guest on the podcast this week is Lynn Yap, the founder of Activate Network, whose mission is to increase the participation of women in technology and entrepreneurship. She started her career as a corporate attorney, graduated from the Wharton School with an MBA, and worked in investment banking. Her curiosity led her to write about business as a force for good. Her book, The Altruistic Capitalist, brings together conversations with leaders at for-profit corporations, entrepreneurs, and investors, and her personal experience, all in service of the changes the world needs. As Lynn says, we can no longer rely on governments and nonprofit organizations alone to solve our social and environmental problems. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome Lynn to the conversation. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you for having me, Jane. No, I'm really excited to talk to you. I feel like we are on parallel paths, my friend. <laughs> so before we dig into everything that you're passionate about, Lynn, I'd like to take a few moments and just ask you to tell us a little bit of your backstory and the real life human who is behind the bio. Who is she? Hmm. I think I would say that I'm an experiment. I like experimenting. I like playing and trying out new things. Now, I haven't always been like this. Um, I grew up in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Um, and, you know, uh, growing up, I was told uh, things I should be doing, um, uh, uh, the life that I should be. And that's kind of how I ended up studying law, getting my MBA from the Wharton School, um, becoming a lawyer. You know, all the things that that um, I was told that I should be doing to lead a happy and successful life. But then, um, you know, at the end of it, I, I did all those things and I still wasn't quite happy that I was um, 
kind of missing meaning in my life. So uh, when I left investment banking, I started experimenting. They started as small experiments, but as, but as I gained confidence and um, did did more dif did more things, did different things. I I think now I'm being more comfortable. I've got more comfortable to um, taking on more risks and trying out uh, trying out even bigger things. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of Lynn, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because thinking about you as a corporate attorney and working in investment <laughs> banking, right? It's a very different world to the kind of person I would imagine would write a book called The Altruistic Capitalist. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, I mean, that, because it almost sounds to me like, you know, if I if I think about my own life, it almost sounds like you had a little bit of an awakening in some senses. <laughs> Indeed, um, I, I don't regret um, any of the things, any of the episodes, any of the chapters in my in my life. I appreciate all the lessons and all the, the blessings that I've received. Um, so I, I guess what happened in terms of an awakening, if you like, um, moment of truth even, um, I was in investment banking. This was in May of 2012. Um, at the time, I just graduated from uh, Wharton with my MBA, and I was um, working on IPOs for tech startups. It was quite an exciting time because this was after the 2008 recession, um, and a lot of the tech startups were now starting to raise money in the public markets. There were a lot of, of exciting things that were happening. Um, now, my team and I, we had been courting Facebook for about two years. It was going to be the biggest tech IPO, the biggest IPO um, for um, uh, at the time. And so when uh, when Facebook was about to go public, we, we got the deal and it was a really quite a big moment for us. Um, but also at that point in time, in May 2012, uh, my grandmother got sick. Uh, I hadn't been back to Malaysia to see her for uh, a few years, and the doctors didn't think that she would she would make it. So I wanted to go back home to see her, to say goodbye, um, and to support my family. Um, when I went to um, the head of the team, I said, "Look, this is this is what's going on, and I would like to go home and see her." I was flatly told, "No." There wasn't even a moment's hesitation. There was no thinking about it. There was no discussion. It was just kind of like, "No." Well, Facebook is going public, and we can't risk. Um, you not being around and the deal not um, not going smoothly. And so I was torn, of course, between the duty to uh, my work. Uh, and and I, of course, I really enjoyed my work um, as, as as many hours as it took. Um, but I was also also then the duty to my family. And ultimately, I, I stayed. I didn't go back to Malaysia. Uh, Facebook went public as was expected. Um, they went on the road, um, they went public, um, and my grandmother passed away. I didn't get the chance to go home to say goodbye to her. I didn't get a chance to um, go home for a funeral even. Um, and no one asked me actually afterwards um, what had happened. Um, and that was it. Um, I felt very guilty for for a long time. Uh, there were so many feelings, really. Um, I mean, anger as well and sadness, but mainly guilt um, that I had then made this decision. I wasn't sure if I had made the right decision. Um, 
and all the questions that I had in my head at that point in time led me to decide to leave investment banking because it was fine to perhaps miss, um, you know, to give up my weekends. I was in the, the office every weekend and to miss birthdays and to miss weddings and, and, um, and, 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 and all the other important life events uh, with my family and friends. But um, when it comes, when it comes to something as important as, 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 you know, saying goodbye to, to a grandparent, um, I then felt, okay, this, this is perhaps going a little step too far for me. It's not quite true to my values anymore. Um, the question that came back repeatedly was, you know, companies say that people, people are our most important asset, but we don't see the impact of what companies do, um, the culture, um, how they treat employees in financial statements. You know, you see a study rows and rows of um, um, of, of finan financial figures, and nowhere do we see the impact of the environment, um, or the impact on people and the communities um, from what businesses do. And so that was when I decided to leave investment banking um, and start becoming more interested in businesses that take into account took into account the their impact on every all the other stakeholders of the business or so whether it's the communities um, employees the environment um, also partners of the business so it could be supply chain partners um, uh, and other organizations that the company may work with and I just, I, I love, in a way, your story because it's such a, in a way, it's such a personal path you've taken to actually, you know, kind of voting for something very different in your own life. And I know you're not alone, you know, and certainly, you know, now in, in this point in time, you know, where we, we went through lockdown in 2020 and we're still coming to terms with dealing with the, the pandemic, I know there are a lot, lot more people who feel that way now <laughs> because mm -hmm. they've been home for, you know, they've been working from home and suddenly, you know, even Harvard have been talking about the great exodus now uh, mm. as people are deciding they're no longer willing to sell their soul to the corporation any longer. And mm -hmm. it's, it fascinates me having worked in, in change for, you know, a number of years now, a number of decades even, that you know, we saw, it's so easy for us to forget that organizations are people. It's the people mm -hmm. that make the things work. And mm -hmm. yet we treat them like machines and we, we underestimate them. And in, in high pressure environments like investment banking, there really isn't a space for an employee to have a life, especially the higher up you get in the leadership chain. Mm -hmm. So I love that you voted for something different. But let me ask you, why did you write this book? Because, you know, I, I'm just starting to read it and I love the whole energy and ethos that you have here. So what brought you to, okay, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you very much uh, for, for bringing that up. Uh, I think, well, a, a few things. Um, there have been breadcrumbs um, in the past few years to write a book. Um, and uh, and I guess the last breadcrumb, if you like, um, was maybe January or February of um, last year of 2020, when one of my friends um, came to me and said, 
hey, Lynn, you know, I've got this publisher and you should speak to them. I think you'll get along and, and you know, you should just write that book that, that uh, we've been talking about. And at that point in time, I was like, yeah, okay, maybe. I mean, it's always in the back of my mind, but um, not quite, um, didn't have, didn't have um, the space um, or the time to, to sit down and really focus on it. Um, but the, the topic that I, I wrote about is something that, of course, is very important to me and I'm very passionate about. I really believe in it. I, I, I believe in businesses, actually. I have a foundation. I have a strong foundation in law and in finance, and I believe that business and capitalism um, can be used as a force for good. I think capitalism, like technology, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no good or bad in capitalism. It is the intention of how we use the tool. Similar to technology, we can use that power for good or for bad. Um, and perhaps um, the distrust that is prevalent in the in the public's eye of, of, of businesses, and particularly large corporations, big tech, if you like, um, has has come about because of some of the things that you know, has has pushed capitalism towards a certain way. Um, in 1970, Milton Friedman uh, penned an article in the New York Times um, where he said that the social responsibility of business is to increase profits. And I think business leaders um, and, and business schools and business textbooks have perhaps taken that to extreme. Um, this has led to short-term thinking where we are just looking at quarterly earnings, growth upon growth every year, um, financial engineering to a certain extent in order that we can make the numbers work. And the numbers is just basically dollars and cents. Our financial statements, our mandatory reporting doesn't have that at the moment, at the moment, um, where we talk about the impact on the people and impact on the environment. And, and so I think that's this, this, this this uh, movement towards you know increase in profits has led towards this this distrust in large corporations but in it itself i think capitalism is a good tool it it, it um promotes competition promotes healthy competition promotes innovation um gives the market what it needs and what it wants so i think um capitalism is and businesses can be used as a force for good and this is why i I wanted to write this book and to share examples and, and stories of how other business leaders have, have done this. And we see it, uh, and we saw it during um, COVID, where businesses um, came together with public organizations to come up with solutions, uh, whether it's um, um, whether it's the vaccine or even equipment that is needed to create and innovate um, uh, new ideas that can help solve this global pandemic. So I like the idea of collaboration and partnership where public and private organizations come together to solve social and environmental problems. So those are the three main things as to how the altruistic capitalists came up. That's mm -hmm. how it was born. I love that because, you know, I remember um, a few years ago when I was thinking about sacred change makers and, and and working with coaches and leaders and speakers and authors and stuff in building their business. There was this dilemma that was coming up all the time in the, in the beginning of the coaching conversations, which was people thought they either had to be for profit or mm -hmm. for purpose or for good. They didn't mm -hmm. think they could do 
the two. It was mm-hmm. almost like if you if I started talking about being a, a business as a force for good, they thought that meant they couldn't earn any money if they were going to do it that way. And so it's quite interesting because at Sacred Changemakers, we talk about both. We talk about purpose-driven profits. And it sounds like that's what you're taking a stand for too, is almost like Mm -hmm. this middle way. It's not either or. You can, you know, kind of be altruistic and a capitalist at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. I I mean, it was a play uh, in relation to the title was a little bit of a play on, um, the common perception of what capitalist yes. is, which is self-interested. Yes. And I wanted to take the oxymoron, perhaps, and sort of you are being altruistic. Now, um, what I think, what I do believe is, is, is important is to have a balance of all the stakeholders' interests at heart in order that we can um, create positive social impact as well as environmental impact and grow the business money is again it's the same like capitalism there's nothing wrong with with money um it is what we need in order to solve some of these global issues and if we work together uh, with other stakeholders in the business whether it's investors whether it's our supplier chain partners um even our employees if we take the different players of the business together I think we can come up with innovative solutions in order to solve some of the problems that we have. Mm. So how would you like to see the business world change from kind of from your experience and what you've shared with us of what you kind of experienced being an attorney in the investment banking and and I guess other clients and experiences you've had since? I mean, what would you like to see change? I mean, what are the issues with capitalism? Um, so I think it is starting to shift already. Um, we have seen investors, uh, communities, uh, employees demand for um, more purpose-driven businesses. And I believe that when businesses are purpose-driven, profits naturally naturally come. Um, it is about growing the pie. It's not like an either-or situation. It's about growing the pie. So if we, uh, if all the stakeholders work together, it is possible to do that. The other shift that I see coming, and I expect this to happen hopefully in the next 24 to 36 months, is that um, mandatory reporting for some of these social and environmental impacts become mandatory, just like the uh, profit and loss statement and balance sheet is mandatory for companies. Um, now, the World Economic Forum has proposed 21 stakeholder capitalism metrics that fall um it talks about governance. So what are the governance uh, committees that you have in a, in a company? Um, talks about people. What are your diversity um, breakdowns? What's your, what is the gender pay gap, for instance, within the business? Uh, also environmental metrics, um, for instance, carbon emissions. And then there's one thing that's related to community, which is uh, how much do you invest in the communities that you operate in um, what what type of innovation are you are, are you focused on how much taxes do you pay in the countries in which you operate in so these different metrics then is more holistic and we are able then to look at companies and um, and analyze them if you like in a consistent and holistic manner um, what what how they came up with this how the World Economic Forum came up with, with, with these set of metrics is they work with international accounting standards um, as well as um, 
regulatory bodies to come up with to develop these different metrics uh, and it's possible that that will become mandatory reporting in the in the short term so I'm quite hopeful that companies will now ha really start to look at things rather than the short term um, you know looking at the short term reporting on just quarterly you know focus on the quarterly figures of growth and more growth um, because once they have to report um, diversity metrics um, uh, governance standards they will have to focus their attention on these other areas as well not just the bottom line wow that is such good news because i wasn't aware of that so i'm really grateful you shared that because you know one of the things that i think after working in change and development for so long is that you know if something doesn't get measured in an organization it doesn't tend to get done <laughs> So, right. yes. so basically, I like I've been thinking, well, we definitely need some compliance to come in because that mm -hmm. is what will kind of change the priorities that organizations have currently. And it's almost like I feel like we need that level of kind of push from government to actually start to really start to. I, I, I would say, and I'm biased in this, I guess, because of my own experiences, but I would say help business leaders to realize that corporate social responsibility is not just a branding issue. It's not just something that we're going to tell people we do and, and then do something differently in our like mm. internal culture, but mm -hmm. it's something we have to embody. It's something we have to believe. It's something we have to live. That's the story that we're all mm -hmm. living here and we're mm -hmm. all bought into it. And it is serious because, you know, I certainly know a number of leaders that kind of tip their hat to corporate social responsibility and think they're doing really well and then <laughs> go back to life as normal internally for profit for profit more 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 kind of and um you know at any cost in some scenarios so mm -hmm. i'm really excited that there's a possibility that that could be coming in because i see that that would really change things and it makes me think about in norway um a number of years ago there was a um there was a, a, a thing from the government that said that uh, women needed to be represented on um, corporate boards. So mm -hmm. they made it, I think it was that something like, it wasn't 50-50, but it was huge. It was something like 35% of uh, mm -hmm. an organization's board had to be represented by females. And this actually started a whole cascade of changes in certainly inequality for women definitely in in mm -hmm. uh, Norway but not only that what we saw was um the the financial statements people were getting far greater results with women on boards <laughs> and and we know that those of us that take a stand for organizations that do take into account all of their stakeholders you know these are the organizations that know that like you said you know if you take a stand for being a force for good the profits follow now we know mm -hmm. this and we're starting to get some of the research coming through but something like that would really tip us into a space where those that don't yet believe that this is the right way forward for their organization they would actually be forced to look at this in a more serious way. So I find that so exciting. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, indeed. So that I'm, I'm very optimistic about uh, the, the future of business, actually. 
Um, but I wanted to pull on a couple of um, threads that um, uh, from your from your last comment. Um, one about the uh, diversity requirement for senior management and, and boards in, in Norway. Um, there are a few European countries, I believe, that also have that. Uh, Germany, mm. for instance, also has that 30%, um, and I think France as well. What is more important is not just, that's just diversity. Yeah. I think that what is more important is to have that inclusion and equity piece yeah. when we have diversity within our organizations, because that's when the real value comes about. When we make people feel included, in the conversation, we welcome them in that conversation. That is when we can really see the value of having different voices and different perspectives at the table. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing um, that you that you said was um, related to CSR, corporate social responsibility. Leaders who separate innovation, um, innovation, and 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 social impact activities, let's put it this way, um, leaving social impact activities, so philanthropy only to the CSR teams or the HR teams or sustainability teams, I think they're missing out on a big market opportunity. When business leaders combine innovation, so when, when business leaders start thinking about social innovation, how is it that we can create different business models um, how is it that we can serve the un underserved communities and, and markets at the moment? That actually helps them create a new revenue stream. It could mean new markets, uh, new business models, new products, new services. That then helps them in, again, there's nothing wrong with profit. It helps them financially, but it also has gives them the uh, social impact for communities that they operate in. It also gives them a more engaged workforce, which of course then uh, reduces uh, attrition rates, in, uh, you know, increases retention of employees, and basically their, their teams would bring their better selves um, to work, and that's that creates a more a higher performing organization overall. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe in embedding. Um, innovation and social impact together that's where you have that triple impact if you like of business value um, social impact and employee engagement mm, i love that and i mean you know the employee engagement i think is is a huge issue for a number of leaders right now particularly but i think this has been an issue probably for at least more than a decade i i remember the figures coming out of how disengaged most of the workforce are and given that the workforce you know we spend most of our time at work this is a huge issue for the quality of our lives never mind the mm -hmm. quality of our businesses and I know one thing you talk about in the book is um, you talk about mindfulness leading mm -hmm. to increased engagement in this space. And I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that, because I think our listeners will be interested to know about that. Yes. Yes. Um, so mindfulness, I think to some people is, you know, just sitting still. It's <laughs> all about. Um, uh, and, and for me, there is a lot more. To mindfulness than just sitting in silence. What comes with mindfulness, uh, being present, the Im immediate impact is, you know, there's, there's more calmness, there's more focus. But what being present means is becoming more aware 
um, it improves your listening and increases empathy. Uh, we have a couple, uh, you know, in my in my book, I interview different um, different executives um, and uh, social entrepreneurs, and they say that it actually helps them be more focused on the value that they want to bring in terms of the business as well as in terms of, of um, uh, in terms of communities. And so, uh, one example, uh, um, no, actually a couple of examples that I think are are quite short and easy to replicate is at Eileen Fisher, uh, it's a sustainable women's brand based in New York. Um, how they start their meetings is they start their meetings with one minute of silence. And, and, and you may notice um, having, oftentimes we go from one meeting to the next and they're scheduled back to back. Before we have the time to catch our breaths, we are already you know, in the next room thinking, what is this meeting about? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to? Uh, what am I supposed to to talk about? Um, how they start the meeting is it's a minute of silence. Um, so everyone just gathers themselves, and you can close your eyes or you can look down. But basically, it allows you to to be present to who you are at that moment. Uh, and when that minute of silence is up, then you are ready to listen to someone else. And and that gives that person the space to. And that gives you and the other person in the room to engage with each other in a more meaningful way, to deliver better results uh, and to achieve whatever it is that you both come together to achieve. Another um, example I like to share, um, Satya Nadella of Microsoft, he also has a mindful uh, mindfulness practice um, and his is related to gratitude. He starts his morning by um, thinking about, by by expressing how grateful it is for what it is for that day. Um, so it could be very grateful for, um, you know, the, uh, for his family. It could be very grateful for the work that he does. Um, and I think the power of practicing gratitude for expressing uh, appreciation for what you have creates an abundance. And when we see abundance, we also see opportunities um, from what we have. And that, again, um, inspires and sparks creativity and, and innovation. And we are able to then become, uh, to join the dots, to connect the dots and, and, to, and to develop um, new ideas and, and new products and services to achieve uh, whatever, to solve whatever problem it is that, that we want to solve. Mm. That's great. And, you know, what, as I was listening to you there, I was thinking, gosh, you know, there could be people listening to this that are leaders in organizational life and 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 really you know want to move in the direction that we're talking about here and as you were talking there about like mindfulness and engagement I was thinking about leadership itself and and how in a way this I suppose this perspective on on uh, capitalism really shifts the way you lead because just by inviting somebody into a minute of silence to enable them to collect themselves and bring their whole self into the room or the meeting, that in itself is just a small thing, but actually it has quite a, a big impact on the quality of conversations that people then go on to have. So I was wondering, like, what's your take on how leadership needs to change for you know like our title says socio-economic and environmental impact hmm. good question i so I, I think leadership needs to start thinking in a more 
collaborative, um, grow the pie sort of way rather than a dog eat dog world. Because the so, um, social environmental uh, problems that we have really need um, us to collaborate. The problems are so complex, we can't solve the problems on our own. And how mindfulness to a certain extent helps is that it starts, it helps us let go of the ego. It enables, uh, and enables us as leaders to become uh, system leaders. We are more collaborative. We think about building coalitions. We are more authentic and we are able to build trust with each other. And so there is no, uh, we think more about what is the greater good that we can achieve, what are the problems that we can solve together, rather than wanting to take credit for selling more, <laughs> selling more, more, more stuff, or 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 um, wanting to have a, yeah, wanting to have a better name recognition. But it's more about what is it that we can do to leave the world a better place for for the next generation. And in that way, it actually helps us create economic growth as well. Because imagine if we just think about today wanting to exploit all the resources, all the resources that we have, what happens is that in the future, um, it's going to be more expensive to run our businesses. Our profit margins will eventually um, tighten. And that's going to be worse sociologically, um, environmentally, as well as for business. So we need to start shifting to think about how is it that, who is it that uh, wants to solve the same problems that I have? Do they have the same values uh, as me? And how can we complement each other in terms of um, what we have and what we bring to the table? How can we, how can we work together? And, and so rather than expending resources, trying to beat out the competition, we look to see how we can complement each other. Uh, one example I like to share is uh, the recent partnership between Allbirds and Adidas. Um, both are sneaker companies. They both make sneakers. They both um, target the same same market. Now, in the past, you wouldn't imagine, you couldn't imagine that these two companies that operate in the same space would work together, but they did. Um, they came up with a Futurecraft footprint shoe um, that emits only 2.94 kilograms of um, carbon. And the average sneaker um, has about 14 kilograms of carbon emissions. Um, so they, the, and I noticed because I was, uh, I was at Adidas um, and, and, the, and the mindset is similar to what Tim Brown at Albert has, Albert's has, it's an open, collaboration type mindset. We share um, we share what we know uh, and you share what you know and we come together to solve this problem. Uh, we understand the risks when it comes to social innovation, but this is an important thing that uh, for both of us and it's not about selling more shoes, it's about what we can do to solve, um, uh, to solve our environmental problem. Mm. I love that. And I, I, you know, it reminds me of something that uh, you said in the book, which is how important curiosity is in mm -hmm. solving social issues. And I, I hear that in the open mindset, then of course, there's a curiosity for mm -hmm. kind of bringing to the table, like what I can, and then really benefiting because of course, a rising tide lifts all boats. So mm -hmm. I love that. It really makes sense to me. It really does. And 
And <laughs> at the same time, I'm thinking about some corporations who will remain nameless that I've worked with. But and I think, well, you know, curiosity is all well and good, but how as a leader can I bring that into my organization? If, for example, my organization has a culture where we're really not allowed to make mistakes. <laughs> and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed I do. I think. Um, the question I would pose um, to such leaders is imagine what we could achieve if we did make mistakes. Because if we always did things the same way, um, we're not, maybe we're not taking enough risks in order to expand ourselves, in order to become better. We miss out on that opportunity if we don't ask those questions, if we don't take the risk, and if we don't fail. There's nothing wrong with failure. Um, it is what it is about taking the lessons that come from each experiment or each step, um, and so uh, I encourage um, I encourage leaders to to be open about asking questions and taking some of these risks because it then opens up the space to try out to to see what what is there. It could be new markets, like I said. Um, you know, some companies, for instance, uh, CMEX is a it's a Mexican company that serve the low-income family, um, they said, well, this, this, this group is, has not been, um, you know, they, they don't have the uh, financial knowledge in order to build their own houses. So what about, how about if we create a program that will enable them to um, buy affordable homes and we give them that um, guidance in order to come up with a financial plan that is affordable for them? So then it, you know, so that's, social and economic impact that has helped the that business as well they asked the questions like what if we tried this mm. and you know as we're talking here I'm sure there are leaders that are listening that are thinking this is a choice they have right <laughs> so which is why I want to find out your perspective because I don't actually know what you're going to say here but um one of the things that I believe now is I think it used to be a choice. <laughs> I don't think it's a choice anymore. I think this is the way we're headed in the business world. And I think there's mm. going to be win early adopters and winners, the people that actually get on board and start to do this. And I think those that don't are actually going to lose out big time in terms of clients and customers and ultimately revenues and sales. So I think I believe that this is no longer a choice now. You know, we've got to get on this kind of bandwagon. We've got to change the, the way that business is done because it's just not sustainable any other way. What's your thoughts on that, Lynn? I definitely agree on, on that. Um, it's also the investors. We saw a huge amount of money flowing into impact funds and uh, ESG, environmental um, sustainability and governance funds um, last year um, when, when COVID started. So um, in the last three quarters, um, let's, let's just say last four quarters, I apologize. Um, we've, we've seen a tremendous and exponential growth in those type of funds. So investors are really knocking on the doors of board of directors and CEOs and saying, okay, what is it that you're doing about diversity? What is it that you're doing about the environment, your carbon emissions? And so business leaders have to start um, looking at looking at all the areas. It's not just about 
it's not just about the bottom line. So there is starting to be a shift. And they have to unlearn some of uh, business leaders. <laughs> we have to unlearn some of the things that, that we've been taught for a long time away from, you know, the social, the Milton Friedman social responsibility of businesses to increase profits. Um, we have to start unlearning some of that and to think about, okay, there are these other players related to the business that I have to pay attention to. Yeah. And one of the things I think when you say that quote is if we just change profits to prosperity for all, mm. it would mm-hmm. shift everything, wouldn't it? And I know there are some arguments out there where people feel that that's actually what he was really saying about benefits for all profit for all. He mm-hmm. wasn't meaning it in the kind of narrow way that we've taken and run with it. <laughs> indeed. Yes, I agree, Jane. Yes, indeed. Um, we take We've just taken his title, but if you look at his article, if you study, um, if you read his article in depth, it, that is not exactly what his what he's saying. I mean, he's like, okay, one of the things I'm not going to go too much into this Milton Friedman article, <laughs> but one of the things I mean, I don't want to turn this into an economic discussion. <laughs> I don't want to go back to I don't want to go back and do my MBA uh, classroom. Um, one of the things is that. Um, he argues is that, well, you know, business leaders are elected, appointed to do certain things and they might not have the knowledge or know-how to decide and determine which areas in which we should allocate the um, allocate the resources that the company to. Should we allocate it into the environment or, or, mm. um, or, 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 or healthcare or something? Uh, and so I think that was just one argument is that which then it was summarized into the titles like, well, so all they have to do is increase profits. I don't think that is, it is not as narrow as, as, um, as has been, um, has been, as has been interpreted. It was taken slightly out of context because he says it should also be within the moral and ethical bounds and when doing business. Yeah. So let me ask you, what is important for you about the impact that you're making with your work? Um, so as the founder of Activate Network, I, um, I, what, I want to, what I want to achieve is um, the idea that women and young, young girls around the world uh, are inspired to be bigger than who they see themselves today. So to really come to their full potential. I feel that I've had a lot of opportunities and blessings in my life. Um, people along the way have helped me and I want to help others to achieve um, their full potential as well. And, and so through Activate Network, um, you know, I work with companies we, with, on these leadership programs that also involve um, 13 to 16 year old girls to empower them, to give them um, experiential um, uh, learning to develop skills in leadership, um, empathy, listening, communication. Um, these are core skills that we need uh, for the future of work. Uh, and the important thing uh, with these programs is also a built community. That was an unintended consequence um, uh, which which came out of, of the programs when I when I designed them. But um, when I do feedbacks and surveys with the different cohorts, they say, oh, I, I've made relationships through 
these programs and it's really helped me to step outside my comfort zone and it's helped me gain confidence based on the people in the program who have helped me. Oh, that sounds like great work that is much needed. That really does. Thank you. So let me ask you a final question, Lynn. Um, And it's just really simply this, you know, if there's something you wanted to share with our listeners today, maybe some words of wisdom you'd like to leave them with, and maybe we haven't got to it yet, what might it be? Uh, I'm just going to borrow a quote from someone else. (laughs) Uh, And the quote is, if you think you're too small to have an impact, try sleeping with a mosquito. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) We can all make a difference. We can choose. We always have a choice. We can choose who we buy from, who we work with, and who we invest in. And we can always tell someone else about what we have done. And when you share that with someone else, you inspire them to perhaps take action as well. So I, I say we are never too small to have an impact. So true. Oh, thank you, Lynn. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. And I just know that our listeners will feel inspired and they will have learned so much from you. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. Check out Coaches Business School Unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world. Hashtag transition team. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. So again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.